Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Bible teacher Dan Slagle and was recorded on Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. And you can also follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for FaithBridge Live, our online service at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Dan. Uh, well, good morning, folks. It's great to be with you today. Welcome to FaithBridge, whether you're here in the live service, if you're in the communion service, or you're coming to us online. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us today. We're continuing on in our year-long series in the book of Luke. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to go ahead and turn there, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Usher's coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one that can be yours to keep if you have need of one. Luke chapter 15. 15. We'll jump into the text in just a moment, uh, but before we do that, let's take a moment and pray together. (laughs) Father, our hearts are so grateful that we can gather today in your house uh, to lift up the name of your son, Jesus, to to raise our hands, as Lizzie was telling us a few moments ago, of, of what you have done and what you will do in our midst. We pray now that as we turn our attention to your word, your Holy Spirit would come to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. It was the year 1977, and my younger brother David and I were in uh, my parents, our parents' home watching television when a commercial came on advertising a, a film that was soon to hit the theaters. And uh, even for 1977, I thought the graphics for the uh, commercial for the film were, were kind of hokey. Uh, it, was, it was a bunch of nobodies that were going to be starring in it, a bunch of goofy characters, a sci-fi film. And uh, I, I looked over at my brother. I, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I looked over at David and I said, talk about a loser, one-hit wonder. That thing's not going to go anywhere. Well, uh, looking back on it now from the distance of 45 years, uh, I think it's safe to say uh, I was just a little too cocky in my evaluation uh, of that uh, goofy little film that would be known as Star Wars. (laughs) So much for my uh, ability to spot a winner. (laughs) So much for my ability to know what I was talking about. It, It never ceases to amaze me how we uh, humans uh, seem a never-ending capacity to talk about things of which we have no knowledge, to act as though we're an expert in areas that really, truth be told, we don't know anything about that. That was certainly the case of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They were self-appointed experts, particularly regarding all things religious, regarding all things related to God. They knew exactly what God was like. They knew all about his nature. They knew what was important to him. They knew about his values, his priorities. And they also knew what he did not value. In fact, what he even despised. And on uh, one particular occasion, uh, they showcased their prideful ignorance about their knowledge of God when they were observing Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, we read that 
Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In other words, this Jesus character, this so-called prophet, if he had any sense at all, if he had any God sense at all, he would know who it is he's attracting. Certainly not anybody that God would love or care for. If he had any understanding of, of God, he would not be wasting his time with such riffraff, tax collectors, and sinners. Well, as he did so often, Jesus took advantage of the moment to uh, correct faulty thinking, to explain it to him, you might say, about you know, what God is really like. And he did so by telling them three stories that are recorded here in this chapter. The first one is the story of a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One of them gets lost, and so he leaves the 99 behind, and he goes, does whatever he has to to find that one. And when he does, he brings it back, and he's so happy, he throws a party, invites his neighbors to celebrate that he has found his lost sheep. That's what God is like, Jesus says. The second story is similar. It's about a woman who has 10 very precious coins, but she manages to lose one of them. And so she proceeds to tear the whole house apart in order to find that one coin. And when she does, she is so happy that she throws a party and she invites all of her friends over to celebrate that she has found this precious coin. That is what God is like. He tells a, a, a third story, very common, uh, commonly known story to us. It's, it's typically known as the, the story of the prodigal son. It begins in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Three very powerful stories <clears throat> correcting the faulty thinking of the Pharisees to let them know and to let us know what the heart of God is really like. Of course, the one that uh, 
is the most well-known is the one that we just read. Last week, about this time, I was in India. And I was talking with some of my colleagues there about this passage, thinking about the sermon that I was going to preach today. And, I, you know, what, what's, what's your take on, on this passage, I asked. And my friend Silas Sudeker said, uh, you know, Pastor Dan, these stories are, are commonly known as the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. But he said, I, I think there's a mistake there. What do you mean? He said, I think they should be known as the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost me. It took a half a second for me to metabolize what he is saying, but then, yes, you, you are exactly right. It is the story of the lost me because it is the story of every single one of us. You know, sheep don't make a conscious choice to get lost. They just wander away. And a coin certainly does not. But we human beings, fully aware, fully self-conscious, make a willful choice to wander away from God. Neither do uh, sheep nor coins have anything to do with their being found. They're fortunate if they are. But unlike them, you and I have a choice in the matter as to whether or not we are going to be found. We choose to be lost. We can choose to be found. And so this morning, I want us to take a few minutes to look at this very familiar story through the lens of personal responsibility. I think one of the first lessons this teaches us is that the cause of lostness is moving away from the presence of the Father. For whatever reason, this boy approached his dad and said, you know what, I'm tired of living under your authority. I'm tired of living in this house. I want to run my own life. I think I can do a better job of it, so give me what is mine, and I am out of here moving away from the presence of his father and all that his father represented in his life. And you and I have a tendency to do the very same thing. It's interesting to me that the son doesn't give any particular reason why other than he just wants to. It's just a willful act, a willful behavior. And you and I have that very same willful tendency to move away from God. And you know what that tendency is called? It's called sin. Sin is not just doing bad things. It's a disposition. It's a condition of the heart. It's our attitude that says to God, I want to do things on my own. Yes, I know you created me. Yes, I know that you have nothing but, you know, my best interests in mind. But guess what? I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. That willful desire exists within us, ready to blossom at a moment's notice. And if that's not bad enough, we've got the world at large cheering us on. And Scripture says that we've got an ancient adversary, the devil, who also 
does everything within his power to get us to move toward independence. And his specialty in all of this is to help us rationalize our decision, to help us come to a place of being satisfied that, yes, this is the prudent thing to do. This is the wise thing to do, justifying it over and over in our minds. Some years ago, I received an invitation from uh, a friend of mine in the Philippines to come and do some preaching and teaching there. And uh, I, I was eager to accept, but he said, now you need to understand this. We're, we're, we're going to be in, on the island of Mindanao, one of the southernmost islands. And uh, I would be remiss if I did not tell you that Mindanao is the most dangerous island in the Philippines. It is uh, a hive of Islamic terrorist activity. Uh, in addition to that, there are communist guerrillas who are constantly fighting with the established government to overtake things. And both of these groups just love an opportunity to kidnap an American tourist. That's how they fund their activities. So before you accept, just want you to know that. Well, the first thing that came to my mind, honestly, was I, I, I need to talk to Becky about this. But then I thought, no, there's no point in that. I mean, no need to scare the little lady. What she don't know won't hurt her. And, uh, you know, this is for Jesus. So, you know, what, what could possibly go wrong? So I'll just not mention that. So off we go to the Philippines. And I remember at one point, uh, after they picked us up at the airport, Dylan Lucas went with me. We're, we're met at the airport by a, a, a military armed guard procession to take us to the retreat center. I've never seen so many guns in my life. You talk about Dan Slagle Day. Man, it was happening in the Philippines. <laughs> and at one point, we, are, uh, we come up on this long straightaway, and I notice that the speed at which we're going moves from about 60 miles an hour to you know, somewhere around 90. I mean, we're flying. And I said to the driver, I said, oh, you really like to open it up on this straightaway, huh? And he said, no, actually, no. We're about to cross a bridge. And under that bridge is where the terrorists and the communists like to hide and ambush. So we need to get across that bridge as fast as we can. I thought, this is for real. <laughs> he was not kidding. And for a time, you know, I thought I'd gotten away with it but I failed to take into account social media. And my host, my friend, very graciously posts, we're so proud to have Pastor Dan from Houston, Texas here, who in spite of the great dangers <laughs> of possible kidnapping, and yeah, it's come anyway. Well, you know, you, usually when I come home from these overseas trips that when the girls were little anyway, there, there would be signs there, welcome home, dad, and smiling faces. <clears throat> I had a hard time even spotting Becky in the crowd. And it was a quiet ride home from the airport. And, uh, you know, so, well, what's been going on? She said, you lied to me. I said, well, technically, I, I didn't say, she said, you lied, you lied wasn't a, a sin of commission, it was a sin of omission. You didn't tell me the truth. You lied. Guilty as charged. 
I just convinced myself that, yeah, I knew best. I, I know best what's for me, what's good for me, what's good for my family. I know even know better than God, even though God had been telling me, you should tell your wife, you should tell. No, I know what's best. Well, this boy takes off, and at first, things are just hunky-dory. I mean, it could not be any better. He's got a pocket full of money, and man, he is spinning it right and left. There's an endless stream of wine, women, and song until there isn't. The money ran out, the fun ran out, and more importantly, when the money ran out, the food ran out to the point that he was starving to the point that he was even willing to eat pig slop now I don't know if any of you have ever had to slop a pig but let me tell you there is nothing in that bucket very appetizing but he was willing even to eat that though he couldn't even get that his life was in a downward spiral And Jesus is teaching us in this part of the story that there is a consequence to lostness. And the consequence is death. And I'm not just talking about physical death. There is a spiritual, emotional death that far precedes the physical death when we have separated ourselves from God. When we think we know better As Pastor Ken so graciously mentioned, uh, tomorrow I will be 60 years old. And one of the things I I have learned as I age is that the older you get, the the greater your perspective is, of course. You can see many things begin and end. Especially the the lives of of those who come after you, watching children grow up. You know, one moment you're you're sending a congratulations on their birth, and the next minute, you know, they're graduating from college. Wow! Wow! I remember one young man who uh, grew up in a godly home, uh, going to youth group, active, life was good, great family, loved God, wonderful people. But when the college years came along, like many of us, you know, he decided it was time to try a few things out. But unfortunately, he kept trying and he kept trying and he kept trying new things out and and he knew better he knew that he knew better didn't hear much from him or out of him for a number of years and uh, you know uh, being a pastor uh, can create some awkward moments I remember going to a a restaurant once and, and, and he was there and instead of you know hey Pastor Dan, how you doing? It was more like a, hey, you know, <laughs> Pastor Dan, let me get away from him. Well, then a few months after that, he, he calls and asks for an appointment. Come by. I said, sure, it'd be great to see you. Shows up, uh, and he's got this young lady with him, and he says, uh, Pastor Dan, I just wanted to let you know, um, getting married. I said, oh, awesome, terrific. Tell, tell me about it. How did all this come about? He said, well, uh, we met each other uh, just about a month ago. Where? He said, well, it was was at a bar, and, um, you know, we just 
hit it off, clicked, and we just feel like, you know, why waste any time? Let's, you know, move ahead. Let's get married. Like, hey, whoa, you know, you don't need to put the gas on that. There's plenty of time to get married. No, you don't understand. You know, this, this is what we got to do. Well, uh, I could not in good conscience uh, do that wedding. And when I told them so, uh, very angry. And went on about their way, found somebody else that was willing to do it. About a year later, showed up at my office again. And I don't know when I've seen such a broken individual. He was telling me all about the misery that that first year of marriage had been and what a horrible mistake it had been and how terrible they were behaving toward each other. And I never forget, he looked at me at one point and he said, you know, Pastor Dan, sometimes I feel like I'm on a roller coaster that is just completely out of control. I don't even know who I am anymore. And I saw sitting right there in front of me death before death. He was dying on the inside. When we make that choice to move away from the Father, we not only leave the table, so to speak, the provision, but we leave behind the love and the guidance and the security that staying close to the Father provides. He had left all of that behind and found himself tempted to eat pig slop. And when you and I turn our back on the Father, we are headed in the same direction, a spiral downward, and there's only one place it ends, and that's in death. Now, you'll recall that Jesus told this story in the first place to correct the faulty thinking of the Pharisees. I imagine as he told the story, initially they were right with him. What? This boy takes his inheritance before his father has died? How insolent, how rude, how terrible. And he winds up in a pigsty? Serves him right, absolutely. But then Jesus throws a curveball. And he gets to the part of the story that, you know, uh, the more I read it, the more I am so thankful that it's there. It can bring me to tears most every time. Jesus tells us that he finally came to his senses. He, he remembered, I have a father. I have a place in this world. I need to humble myself to go back, but I do have a place I can go back to. Do, do you know what that is called? That little seed of remembrance that is within each one of us when we're so far away, it's called grace. God's grace. Those of us in the Wesleyan tradition, we call it prevenient grace. God's going before grace. Long, long before we think about him, after we've put him far behind us, God's always reaching out, constantly reaching out to us, calling us back to himself. 
and in what is without a doubt the most powerful line in the whole story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. That is grace. Grace is not only what enables us to stand up and remember there's a father that loves us. Grace is what puts us moving back. And grace is most exemplified in a father who from day one is looking for us. There was not a day that this father threw his hands up and said, well, that's that. I'll just go back to doing whatever. No, Jesus gives the distinct impression that every day he is looking for his son. While he was still a long way off, he ran to meet him. Friends, we don't have to lie about going to the Philippines. We don't have to make stupid decisions about marriage and life to find ourselves away from the Father and to find ourselves in need of grace. Every single one of us are capable of it every single day. That tug to be independent, to live life on our own terms, it's always, always there. There's an old hymn that talks about grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. That is available for you and for me. And whether it's the first time you've ever heard about this whole notion or the 1,000th time you've ever heard about it, I can tell you on the authority of God's word that all you have to do is take one step back toward him and he is looking for you. And he is running toward you with his arms wide open. And when you get there, do you know what God wants to do? He wants to do what the shepherd did and what the lady with the lost coin did. He wants to have a party because his child that was lost now is found. And I don't think there is anything that makes the heart of God happier. And if you doubt for a minute that God is serious about it, there's only one place you have to look, and that is the cross. Because it is in the cross of Jesus Christ that we see the love of God more powerfully than anywhere else. God was willing to go to any length to do anything that needed to be done to draw us back to himself, even if it meant taking on human flesh and dying a gruesome death he did not deserve to pave the way for us to come home. In just a moment, I'm going to pray 
And I want to invite you to, to pray with me. And um, maybe you're here today and, and you would call yourself a believer. You've, you've walked with God, but for whatever reason, lately you've walked away. Well, this is the day to come home. Maybe you're not a Christ follower. Maybe this is new news to you. The Father is looking for you too. And this is your opportunity to come home to a place you've never been before. The arms of a loving God. Won't you pray with me, please? Father, we confess to you this morning that uh, our hearts are so fickle We can be so incredibly selfish and short-sighted. We're just sure that we know what's best. And we can talk ourselves into it in no time at all. Lord, would you please forgive us for our foolishness, for our arrogance, for our willfulness. Awaken, Lord, within us a humble and repentant heart, just like the son who is willing to go back home and even be a servant. Give us a picture, Lord, of yourself with your arms wide open, running to meet us, to receive your forgiveness and to be restored. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you for loving us with an endless love. This morning, we step into that once again. In Jesus' name, amen.